Is there something wrong? Warning. Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, the webalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com, Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw, the Success Alchemist, Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw, on Telegram, US, UK Patriot, and on Truth Social, Success Alchemist. Today is the 1st of June, 2022. Hard to believe we're in June already. <laughs> and the title of today's show is Sussman Acquittal, Gun Control Agenda, and Who Defeated? So today I'm going to focus primarily on uh, the Sussman situation, the, the trial um, run by Durham's special counsel, of course, and the verdict was announced yesterday after the holiday weekend. And there's a lot of people that have been very disappointed with the, with the verdict, uh, in some cases disgusted with the verdict. Obviously, I've reported on this before. And, you know, we knew that the jury had um, some very biased Democrats representatives on there um, who had donated to Hillary Clinton, who donated to AOC, who obviously supported um, the Democrat Party. And of course, DC is, you know, the, the center of the swamp. So it was not really a surprise, but it still um, didn't please people who were on the side of justice. So the first thing I'm going to do is just going to run through some of the um, impressions or analysis that X-22 report has done on this. And his view is that the justice system has been exposed for being a very corrupt institution. And this is one of the, you know, if we look for the gift in everything, which is what I definitely say, um, then one of the gifts is more exposure of the corruption, is one thing. CNN is now reporting on it, which I think if if he had been indicted, if Sussman had been indicted, they'd have covered that up. They wouldn't have bothered reporting on it because it wasn't, you know, beneficial to the leftist fake news media. But now that it looks like a win their side they're very happy to report on it so it's bringing it to the attention of more of the normies who are then aware of what's going on with the Durham investigation which probably a lot of people weren't aware of it because the fake news media wasn't reporting on it. Um, Durham needed information under oath revealed to be used in in the um, prosecution of higher echelon people. Uh, in other words, you know, these low-level um, indictments, we had Klein Smith uh, last year, I think it was, who pleaded guilty to altering the email that claimed that um, Carter Page was not a CIA asset when he actually was, so he he pleaded guilty, and then we have Sussman, and then we've got Danchenko, whose trial starts, I think it's in October. So these are very low-level people, but if you followed what I've been reporting on here about the trial or on any other um, alternative news, you'll know that one of the key points here, absolutely critical, was when Robbie Mook, who was Clinton's campaign manager at the time, 
He testified that Hillary Clinton approved giving the fake Russia collusion information um, about Alpha Bank and supposedly um, the server that belonged to the Trump organization was linked to Alpha Bank. Uh, she approved uh, leaking it to the media. Uh, the jury was definitely biased, as I said. Durham didn't challenge it. Why? Did he set a trap for them? Uh, because he knew that the um, people on the jury, for example, during jury selection, were biased. Also, the judge last year offered to recuse himself because of his connections, but Durham kind of brushed it off and, no, no, we're, we're fine, we're okay with it. Um, Clinton campaign developed a strategy to weaponize the FBI to investigate Clinton's political opponent. And what other charges is Clinton going to be indicted for? Orchestrating the Steele dossier and working with the same people, perhaps? Durham proved the Russian collusion hoax was an HRC, Hillary Clinton, enterprise. Alpha Bank stories were exposed as hoaxes and also exposed was Hillary Clinton's part in it. So what Dave on X22 report is saying is that they're building, that Durham's team is building up to the next phase. Durham is approaching this strategically. And, um, you know, if we think about the art of war, appear weak when you are strong. And it reminded me of the movie The Last Samurai when similar tactics were used. Um, people now have seen the evidence and how rigged DC justice is. Durham's main objective is to get to checkmate, as is the objective of the White Hats. He doesn't care about the pawns. And what's happened is that because of the Supreme Court leak, that has exposed it and the judicial system to be corrupt. Everyone will be exposed and is playing along with the White Hat's 5D chess. Trump wants this done by the book. The last resort is the military. Durham hasn't lost a case in all his career until this one. Why would he lose now? Well, it's part of the plan. So I'm going to now go on to a, a very well put together article, which is from another Substack account that I've just come across and it's jbwhiterattlergator.substack.com and he's obviously done a series of articles this is the first one I've come across it's a it's called the gathering of sovereigns part eight so I'll have to go back and look into the earlier articles and it's subtitled John Durham's probable strategy the decision yesterday, this was actually published today, by the way, the decision yesterday by a District of Columbia jury yesterday to acquit Michael Sussman of his obviously criminal act of lying to the FBI is basically an irrelevant verdict. That does not mean, however, that Sussman is a small fish in the investigation. Not at all. Today, I feel we need to take a minute to step back and broadly survey the current landscape when it comes to John Durham and his criminal investigations. He and his team are a truly unique gathering of first sovereigns, but he is the point man chosen for this special job of bringing down the criminal syndicate of criminal syndicates. Battle prep. For me, and I suggest it should be your approach as well, effective battle prep begins with a full reading of Donald Trump's civil Right, RICO lawsuit. Oh yeah, remember that? Supposedly nothing burger filing. I must say I'd forgotten about it. That's what I began over the Memorial Day weekend. As an example, you might want to take a look at his first entries in count one of the lawsuit, outlining what he terms as the RICO enterprise. And it's got a, a um, an extract from this. Uh, 268, the defendants Clinton the Clinton campaign, the DNC, Perkins Coy, Elias and Sussman, collectively the RICO defendants, are all persons within the meaning of 18 U.S.C. 1961 Part 3. 
269. At all relevant times, the RICO defendants, Hillary Clinton, the Clinton campaign, the DNC, Perkins Coy, Mark Elias and Michael Sussman, constituted an association, in fact, enterprise, the enterprise, within the meaning of 18 U.S.C. 1961, Part 4. 270. The members of the enterprise are a group of persons associated together for the common purpose of carrying on an ongoing enterprise. Specifically, the enterprise had, an un- had a common unlawful goal of dismantling the plaintiff's political career and or impeding his ability to effectively govern through fraudulent, deceptive and criminal means, including but not limited to falsely implicating the plaintiff, the Trump campaign and the Trump administration as colluding with Russia. 271. By virtue of the RICO defendants' professional relationships and frequent business collaborations, the enterprise had an existence and legitimate business and political purpose separate and apart from the racketeering activity itself. 272. Since the enterprise's activities had a significant effect on the 2016 presidential race and affected fundraising and electoral spending, the enterprise affected interstate and foreign commerce. The 273, the enterprise was formed as early as April 2015 and remains ongoing and continuing to the present day. 274, considering the nature of the RICO defendant's long-standing political and professional relationship, the continuing nature of Clinton's political career, her ever-present political rivalry with plaintiff, and the nature of the enterprise's goals, the longevity of the enterprise is sufficient to permit the RICO defendants to pursue the enterprise's ongoing goal of damaging the plaintiff's political career with the continuing proliferation and or threat of proliferation of disinformation, obstruction of justice and other unlawful tactics intended to damage the plaintiff's political career and to impede his ability to effectively govern. 275. The members of the enterprise have long-standing interrelationships rooted in their political and professional connections, in addition to common control, ongoing business dealings, and mutual interest and participation in common activities and dealings. 276. The enterprise has, or at all relevant times had, an organised, clearly delineated, ongoing organisational framework and command structure for carrying out its objectives. The Clinton campaign and the DNC were at all relevant times mutually controlled by Clinton, who worked in tandem with their joint counsel, Perkins Coy, whose partners Sussman and Elias simultaneously served as general counsel for the Clinton campaign and the DNC. 277. No RICO defendant has withdrawn or otherwise dissociated itself from the enterprise. So, not being sure what RICO is, I actually looked it up and I found it on nolo.com and the legal encyclopedia. It stands for, RICO stands for Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organisations Act. Passed in 1970, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, RICO, is a federal law designed to combat organized crime in the United States. It allows prosecution and civil penalties for racketeering activity performed as part of an ongoing criminal enterprise. So there you have the definition. That's me. It's not in this article. So now back to the article. These are substantive entries on a wrongdoing ledger, okay? That's how the Sussman trial should be viewed. For the average American, the civil RICO lawsuit necessarily informs, on the front end, your comprehension of the building of a more complicated criminal RICO prosecution. Does this begin to make clear Team Trump's very confident strategy? Can you start to accept John Durham's probable strategy? That lawsuit filed on March 24th of this year is a must-read, a must-read. I suspect many have not read it given its length. There are a whopping 508 itemised entries. 
In my personal opinion, however, you have a duty as an American to sit down and read it. They've tried to dismiss its importance and its skillful presentation. That should tell you how important it is to read it in full. And there are links in the uh, article to that um, filing. The civil informs the criminal. I find it instructive, just as a matter of outline, to especially ponder three aspects of the civil lawsuit. First, the name defendants. One, Hillary R. Clinton. Two, HFACC, Inc. That's Hillary for America campaign, I think. Number three, Democratic National Committee. Number four, DNC Services Corporation. Number five, Perkins Coy. Michael Sussman is number six. Number seven, Mark Elias. Eight, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Nine, Charles Halliday Dolan, Jr. Ten, Jake Sullivan. Eleven, John Podesta. Twelve, Robert E. Mook. Thirteen, Philip Rains. Fourteen, Fusion GPS. Fifteen, Glenn Simpson. Sixteen, Peter Fritch. Seventeen, Nellie Orr. Eighteen, Bruce Orr. 19, Orbis Business Intelligence Limited. 20, Christopher Steele. 21, Igor Danchenko. 22, New Star Inc. 23, Rodney Joffe. 24, James Comey. 25, Peter Strock. 26, Lisa Page. 27, Kevin Kleinsmith. 28, Andrew McCabe. 29, John Doe's 1 through 10. Said names being fictitious fictitious or fictitious and unknown persons and 30 ABC corporations 1 through 10 said names being fictitious and unknown entities. Second how they chronologically outline their case in the lawsuit. Um, just one thing I was surprised about that was that Adam Schiff wasn't on the list because we know he lied through his teeth about uh, Trump and Russian collusion. Anyway, carrying on. Second, how they chronologically outlined their case in the lawsuit. The DNC and the Clinton campaign become one. The Clinton campaign and DNC conspire with their attorneys, Perkins Coy, to frame Republican candidate Donald J. Trump. Elias recruits Fusion GPS and others to manufacture a falsified set of reports known as the Steele dossier. Sussman recruits New Star to lead a cyber attack against the Trump campaign. As the presidential race takes form, the Steele dossier is used to mislead federal law enforcement. The defendants spread their false narrative through the media while Sussman makes false statements to law enforcement. A string of federal investigations clear Donald J. Trump and uncover the defendants' illicit conspiracy. The defendants' malicious conspiracy remains active to this day. Third, not merely how they walk through and title each count in the lawsuit, but which defendants do they include in what counts? Count 1, RICO, 18 U.S.C. 1962-C, against Clinton, Clinton campaign, DNC, Perkins, Coy, Elias and Sussman. Count 2, RICO conspiracy, 18 U.S.C. 1962-D, against Clinton, Clinton campaign, DNC, Perkins Coy, Sussman, Dolan, Sullivan, Podesta, Mook, Reigns, Elias, Fusion GPS, Simpson, Fritch, Nellie Orr, Bruce Orr, Orbis Limited, Steele, Danchenko, Newstart and Joffe. Count three, injurious falsehood, 18 USC 2701 to 12, against Clinton, Sullivan, Schultz, Danchenko, Sussman and Steele. Count four, conspiracy to commit injurious falsehood against Clinton, Clinton campaign, DNC, Perkins Coy, Sussman, Dolan, Sullivan, Podesta, Schultz, Mook, Reigns, Elias, Fusion GPS, Simpson, Fritch, Nellie Orr, Bruce Orr, Orbis Limited, Steele, Danchenko, Newstar and Joffe. Count five, malicious prosecution against Sussman, Elias, Danchenko, Fritch, Simpson, Nellie Orr, Steele, Joffe, Comey, McCabe, Strock, Page and Kleinsmith. Count 6. Conspiracy to commit malicious prosecution. Against Clinton, Sussman, Schultz, Dolan, Sullivan, Elias, Simpson, Fritch, Steele, Orr, Danchenko, Joffe, Podesta, Mook, 
Rains, Comey, McCabe, Strzok, Page and Kleinsmith. Count 7, Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, 18 U.S.C. 1030. Against New Star, Joffe, DNC, Clinton Campaign, Clinton, Perkins Coy, Sussman. Count 8, Theft of Trade Secrets, 18 U.S.C. 1830-32. Against New Star, Joffe, Perkins Coy, Sussman, Clinton Campaign, DNC and Clinton. Count 9, Stored Communications Act, 18 U.S.C. 2701-12 against New Star and Joffe. Note, here begins the RICO claims against individual people and individual businesses and it is no surprise at all who is up first. Count 10, Agency against Hillary Clinton. Count 11, Respondeat Superior, Vicarious Liability against Perkins Coy. Count 12, Respondeat Superior, Vicarious Liability against the DNC. Count 13, Respondeat Superior, Vicarious Liability against the Clinton Campaign. Count 14, Respondeat Superior, Vicarious Liability against Fusion GPS. Count 15, Respondeat Superior, Vicarious Liability against Orbis Business Intelligence Limited. Count 16, Respondeat Superior, Vicarious Liability against Newstar. I've long felt Donald Trump has mounted since at least 2015 a public-private military-style battle plan to rescue us from an infiltration from within invisible enemy. When he identified his transition team leading up to Inauguration Day as instead his landing teams, I had in my mind sufficient confirmation of of an historic battle plan being employed. John Durham has been a stealth member of the plan to save the American Republic. If I still had use of my Twitter account, I would link to my usage of that term leading up to the 2020 elections. Trump has multiple tips of the spear effectuating the attack, any one of which could effectively get the job done. Given our absolute need, however, to get back to the rule of law in our nation, No first sovereign serving as a tip-of-the-team Trump spear may be more important than John Durham. If you're paying attention to the beginning of this opinion piece, the lawyers named in the civil lawsuit are incredibly important too. Namely, the Tickton Law Group of Deerfield Beach, Florida, featuring Peter Tickton, Jamie Allen Sasson and Shana Van Meren, and Haber Madeo and Associates LLP of Bedminster, New Jersey, featuring Alina Haber and Michael T. Madeo. Both law firms clearly have lawyers ready for the task. Risk-free. So how might John Durham, as but one tip of the spear, effectively get his job done? Here's how. I suspect John Durham has just completed his first risk-free prosecution. The Michael Sussman prosecution for lying to the FBI has concluded. He is clearly and obviously guilty, but the wild card was always the venue, Washington, D.C. But the verdict, in my honest opinion, doesn't matter, and I hope this column will help to explain why. John Durham more than likely has another risk-free trial all set to go against Igor Danchenko. Perhaps more interesting to me is his next indictment, most likely against Rodney Joffe. More on that below, my friends, but let me first set the table for my contention of Durham conducting a risk-free prosecution of Michael Sussman by referencing a recent discussion featuring attorney Robert Barnes. He's discussing with Viva Frey, David Freiheit, the implications of the Michael Sussman trial and Robbie Mook's testimonial bomb. For the Sussman defence, mind you, that it was Hillary Clinton who signed off on the, the opposition research dirty tricks first designed to torpedo Donald Trump's presidential campaign and, after his victory, imperil the administration of a sitting president. This discussion occurred on May 26th, before the not guilty verdict was returned. For a number of reasons, Barnes is sceptical of John Durham and is somewhat dismissive of Donald Trump while being simultaneously impressed by him. 
To me, it's a quite schizophrenic view of Trump, especially prevalent among lawyers who are either independent or lean right of centre. Left-wingers totally underestimate him. Here's the applicable discussion. I have slightly modified and paraphrased it. Robert Barnes. Unfortunately, there's doubt as to whether even Sussman will be convicted, and unlike some of my friends, I don't think it will go any further. I think this pretty much will be the end. This will be the wrap-up of the Durham investigation. Nobody higher up is going to get hit. They're all going to get to walk. You know, friends like Cash Patel and some others that are optimistic. I predict they're going to be deeply disappointed as they discover how the deep state really operates. Fear. Why is that so? Robert Barnes. Because people have to appreciate that Sussman is not even on trial right now for having participated in the fabrication of a fake dossier or having facilitated the funding and dissemination of politicised opposition research. That's all water under the bridge now. He's only there because he lied. So even if he gets confused, no. By the way, here's why he can't say he wasn't there for a client, okay? He's on trial for one lie, right? The lie he told to the FBI. A second lie, however, would be mail fraud. That would be the sending of a bill that contradicts his assertion he wasn't there for a client. This goes to the great John Grisham original film, The Firm. Mail fraud, remember? Everybody who sends a legal bill through the mail and they falsify what they billed a client for has committed a RICO violation. That's a criminal offence. So Sussman, once he billed anyone for it, could never say he wasn't there for a client, has to just admit the obvious. But he's so arrogant, like many in the deep state, that he's like, ah, I shouldn't have to face any consequence for this action I willingly undertook. Think about that. It's a crime he clearly knows he committed. He's probably going to get real time now if he gets convicted because of his arrogance. But this gives you a sense of his thinking and that of the DC crowd. They think they're above the law and never should be held accountable. Period. End of story. I believe Barnes is both correct and incorrect. One of my first posts on True Social helps to explain why I think he is, in part, incorrect. So I've jumped over to his Truth Social post. He says, I hate presumptive opining about a trial, especially one where the jury has not rendered a verdict. The prosecution may have done precisely what they intended to do. Durham, Durham has, theoretically, many cases to try. In this leaked tweet below, the writer appears unaware that Durham may have strongly desired to show what a dumpster fire the FBI was through Spygate, etc. This modus operandi may allow him to do something similar with Joffe. Think CIA, not FBI next time. And there's a link to a tweet by Jerry Dunleavy. And it says, let me just uh, load that up. Jerry Dunleavy says it's up to the jury and who knows what they'll decide, but it's pretty clear the evidence shows Sussman lied to the FBI. If the jury finds him not guilty, it may be because of their political biases, but it may also be because the trial showed what a dumpster fire the FBI was, though. OK, back to the article again. The path forward. Presented below a ten point somewhat hastily thrown together. Instead of presumptively opining based on your own individual biases, what is at least one best-case scenario for Durham proceeding as he is? It is not hard to conjure one up for a sunshine pumper like me. I see a clear path forward that serves multiple objectives. First, remember my theory there's a public-private military-style battle plan actively underway for years now, to rescue America from an infiltration from within invisible enemy. Second, if a RICO prosecution is contemplated as one of the culminating events of this public-private military-style battle plan, is there any rush to go for a kill shot at the outset? Hell no, keep your weapon ready and your ammunition nearby. Third, it may in fact be an optimal approach to bleed your freaking adversary by making them shoulder the burdens of public service. Fourth, if a RICO prosecution is contemplated, years must be taken to build an airtight prosecution, often on the down low secretly. 
Isn't that what John Durham has done? After all, he's been informally on the case since 2017 and wasn't publicly disclosed until 2019. After all kinds of wrongdoing had been done pre- and post-presidency of Donald Trump. And even that disclosure didn't fully admit what he was comprehensively doing. U.S. Attorney John Durham to investigate origins of the Russia probe. One particular focus for me has been these clearly wrongdoing nodes within certain agencies, such as the DOJ National Security Division. Exclusive DOJ prevented FBI from pursuing gross negligence charges against Clinton and the FBI Counterintelligence Division. But how do you first investigate wrongdoers and then get evidence introduced at trial? Well, one sure way is to operate in the shadows when the burdens and responsibilities of public service are flouted. Know what I mean? Fifth, because you're dealing with an infiltration from within invisible enemy, you may, as a prosecutor serving as but one tip of the Team Trump spear, have to get creative yet lawful in building your ultimate case. You have to shake so many damn trees and instill sheer panic in so many wrongdoers, you may have to formally indict a private citizen, Michael Sussman, as you informally prosecute public servants, nodes within the FBI. Sixth, because you're dealing with an infiltration from within invisible enemy, you may have to construct a component within the battle plan that allows you to nominally lose even as you advance an airtight RICO prosecution towards completion. Durham most definitely knows the DC jury pool was likely infested with the woke mind virus currently driving huge numbers of America's left wing towards remarkable stupidity. In fact, he may have strategically allowed a juror to remain sitting in judgment of Sussman, who self-reported a possible conflict arising from the fact that her daughter not only attends the same secondary school as Michael Sussman's child, but is also on the same athletic team at that school. But Durham knows America will be undeterred and unsurprised by the D.C. jury allowing an obvious wrongdoer to escape justice. He also knows he doesn't need Sussman's conviction on this charge. Remember, he's building a criminal RICO prosecution, in part by indicting Michael Sussman and introducing evidence along the way from a wide range of public servants and private citizens that is incredibly damning. Just ask Hillary Clinton about Robbie Mook, okay? Seventh, Durham surely remembers that Jim Comey prosecuted the hell out of Hillary Clinton in that infamous summer of 2016 press conference about Hillary Clinton's outrageously reckless and apparently illegal use of a private non-governmental server to secretly conduct the nation's business as Secretary of State. History may ultimately fixate, in part, on this one sentence from his press conference about the Department of Justice. They do not know what I am about to say. Hmm. If a world historic sting has been conducted over multiple years, that sentence about the, the Obama administration Department of Justice certainly fits the occasion. Back to Durham, he further knows how much that Jim Comey press conference perplexed the nation. Another often repeated sentence comes to mind as I contemplate Comey's July 2016 press conference. It had to be this way. Hmm. Opinions. Will some of the individuals in the civil lawsuit turn out to be good guys? Quite possibly so. What we cannot know is whether Durham was already essentially on Team Trump pre-inauguration or whether he joined after the inauguration. Whatever the case... He likely has a much better handle on the Jim Comey question than we currently do. That said, this tweet from Ron Coleman spoke for many then and still speaks for many now. And this was Ron Coleman on Twitter, August 29th, 2019. It's got a lot of um, uh, people linked to this. Um, no matter how impressive the indictments and prosecutions arising out of the crossfire hurricane coup might seem in our glittering thoughts, below lie the smoking cinders of our politics, justice system, law enforcement, media and culture. He spoke for many then, he speaks for many now. I can't help but wonder if Ron Coleman, almost three years later, 
feels the same way. As for me, Comey has often hovered around the 51 stroke 49 mark with respect to the good guy stroke bad guy question. I've gravitated much more towards the good guy assessment over the last few puzzling years. This coincides with my continued move away from agnosticism when it comes to the whole Q situation and general acceptance of it as a clear part of the battle plan. Q or no Q, I've never bought the Peter Strock and Lisa Page's lovers thing. I still don't quite know what to make of them. And Strock's over-the-top congressional testimony sold, on, sold me on him engaging in a public performance to hide some kind of undercover mission, and doing so in a way to tell people like me he's clearly faking the funk. But for whom? Who really knows? But time for me to soldier on and head back to the path forward for Durham. Eighth, Durham knows that presumptive opining isn't merely an occupational hazard for lawyers, the professional class that populates more of the deep state than any other, but because of our advertised mind here in America, much more than in any other nation, we've been trained to be receptacles of manufactured narratives. Durham is using that fact and his knowledge of the lawfare game to inform his strategy for developing an airtight RICO prosecution. And he goes on um, to include a review of the Advertised Mind book from Amazon to provide some context as well as food for thought regarding how Durham may also go after big tech in the future. I'm not going to read that review, but basically it's talking about the psychology of advertising and how to, um, you know, how what the reasons why people like certain ads and then obviously go on to buy the product. So in a similar way, it's how people buy into a certain narrative, as we've seen very uh, obviously in the past few years. Um, big Tech devoured this book. I have no doubts about that. So did our intelligence community. So did the Democrat Party, globalists everywhere, and our controlling left wing. But I repeat myself. All of them, as far as I'm concerned, are being targeted by Team Trump and John Durham. Ninth, keeping in mind the power of advertising and narrative, Durham, I suspect, has strategically decided to first prosecute an unquestionable criminal act that allows Team Trump to alert the public to the criminal enterprise that is his focus. Conviction of the identified perpetrator in many ways is somewhat irrelevant. If you doubt me on this, go back and read Sussman's indictment with fresh eyes. Then contemplate what we learned during the course of Sussman's trial. Yes, there was a formal indictment and case presented, but wasn't there also an informal prosecution of the FBI? Doesn't the nation now have testimony at trial that seriously calls into question just what the hell is going on with the FBI? Isn't the cosy company townways of D.C. seriously called into question? Do you remember Donald Trump's Schedule F initiative? I don't think that's an irrelevant factor here. In my honest opinion, if you're paying attention, Team Trump's private sector battle commanders are making pincer movements everywhere. Tenth, if you are supremely attentive to the power of advertising and narrative, and the Sussman indictment allowed you to publicise a narrative that aids in your development of a RICO prosecution, might not a Rodney Joffe or Mark Elias indictment serve your purposes even better? An indictment where conviction and prison time as a result will matter. In fact, might any person of interest in a possible upcoming indictment have paid particular attention to the Sussman trial and be having second thoughts right now about accepting a possible plea for a lighter sentence? Confusion to the enemy, Mr Durham, confusion. Choices, choices, choices. For a humorous example, contemplate this. Calling service. Hello, Rodney Joffe. It's John Durham on line one for you, sir. Rattlegator simultaneously sending a telepathic communication. Think three times before you decline his offer, Mr McCain, Republican. I mean, what would be sweeter at this point? One, a Rodney Joffe stroke Mark Elias plea, or two, a Rodney Joffe stroke Mark Elias trial. 
If I was forced to be a reckless man betting his hard-earned money on what will subsequently be revealed as Durham's strategy for building his cases and completing his job as special counsel, I'd bet he's building a prosecution tree upwards with dual branches. One branch will be the formal focus, that would, that would be a specific focus on the person indicted. Another branch, however, will be the informal focus, public servants and nodes within certain agencies who have actively failed us, or worse, engaged in open sedition. This approach by Team Trump methodically generates panic all the way up the food chain, slowly but surely. Who has been secretly indicted? Who has secretly flipped? Who got trapped within the two hot Pfizer warrants? Who, who, who? Klein Smith was indicted and pled, got a light slap and is likely cooperating big time. That was a strategic appetizer. Appear weak when you are strong. It's only up from there as was evidenced by the Sussman indictment. I singularly mention the indictment here and not the jury verdict because that's the real deal. The indictment is what mattered with Sussman, not so much the resulting non-conviction. It was a win-win case for a prosecutor with an extraordinarily broad investigatory mandate. He not only easily advanced his very strong RICO narrative, but he stacked substantive piles of evidence for later use to convict the conspirators, including Michael Sussman. What of that Danchenko indictment, hmm? Shaking that tree will certainly bear future fruit. All the while, many, many of us are now conversant with the overall narrative. We can confidently share it with family and friends and defend it. Conclusion. If you aren't, however, comfortably conversant with what Team Trump is methodically proving, take a step back and go read his civil lawsuit. It's a brilliant walkthrough of some of the crimes committed. Sussman leads to Joffe, right? Or Elias, right? If not them, who do the investigatory facts lead to next? Durham holds all the cards. Everyone is tap dancing to a tune he is playing. Wrongdoers everywhere are wondering who is the next one to be indicted. Who, who, who? It's a target-rich environment. How many defendants did Donald Trump name in his civil RICO lawsuit? That's right, at least 30. Take your pick on precisely who is next up. It could be any of the 30 who haven't already been indicted, or it could be someone or some business not named in the civil RICO lawsuit. As I wrote on True Social days ago, it feels as though the cavalry has arrived and we the people are finally on the offensive. They, Team Trump, have been on the battlefield for quite some time. Many of my fellow First Sovereigns have tried to engage the irregular warfare fight in various ways, but this is a moment for the masses. This summer appears to be the moment for the masses. The battle for saving the American Republic may finally, finally be ready for its climax. Or, in all truth, this could merely be the end of the beginning of a long fight. Either way, nothing can stop what is coming. MAGA stroke MEGA. Now, we've also had statements from Devin Nunes and from Kash Patel saying they expect further indictments to be made. So that supports that theory that Durham is going up the chain and that, you know, we shouldn't get downhearted about the acquittal of Sussman. And the pressure continues to mount because we've just had a report and I'm um, reporting from the conservativetreehouse.com, uh, an article posted yesterday, breaking the FBI maintains a workspace, including computer portal, inside the law firm of Perkins Coy. The ramifications are significant. There is very little that surprises me, but this is completely stunning. An FBI whistleblower came forth to inform Representative Jim Jordan and Representative Matt Gates that the FBI maintains a workspace inside the law firm of Perkins Coy. In response to a letter sent by Representative Matt Gates and Jim Jordan, Perkins Coy, the legal arm of the DNC and Hillary Clinton, admitted they have been operating an FBI workspace in their Washington, D.C. office since 2012. Pay attention to that date. It matters. And it has the... Um, the video of Gates being interviewed by Tucker Carlson in the article. 
This is a huge development. Essentially, what is being admitted in this claim is that a portal existed into FBI databases within the law firm that represents Democrats. This means access to FBI database searches exists inside the office of the DNC and Clinton Legal Group. Think about the ramifications here. CTH has long claimed there was some kind of direct portal link between the Clinton campaign team and the FBI databases. There were too many trails of extracted non-minimized research evidence in the hands of the Clinton team that CTH could not trace to a transferring FBI official. If Perkins Coy operated a portal in their office that allowed them to conduct search queries of American citizens, then everything would make sense. That access portal is exactly what is being claimed and admitted in this report. The start date of 2012 is important for several reasons, not the least of which is Pfizer presiding judge Rosemary Collier criticising the scale and scope of unlawful FBI database access going back to exactly 2012. Keep in mind a Pfizer 702 search is simply an unlawful FBI warrantless electronic search of an American. 702 represents the American citizen into the central database maintained by the NSA that contains all electronic data and communication. I have been in the deep hole of the Pfizer 702 database search query violations for so long I don't even need a flashlight. The report from Matt Gates about Perkins Coy access to FBI databases is in direct alignment with Rosemary Collier's prior report on FBI abuses of the database, 702 violations. Notice the dates and scope Judge Collier references. And it's got a screenshot of this, and it's talking about from November 1st, 2015 to May 1st, 2016. Non-compliant queries since 2012. 85% of the FBI and contractor searches are unlawful. Many of those searches involve the use of the same identifiers over different data ranges. Put in plain terms, the same people were continually being tracked, searched and surveilled by querying the FBI database over time. The non-compliant searches go back to 2012 the same date mentioned for the FBI portal to begin operating inside the Perkins Coy office. And there's a screenshot of a part of a document here. And the key point that the writer points out is, note, no notice of this practice was given to the FISC until 2016. That is important. Summary. The FISA court identified and quantified tens of thousands of search queries of the NSA-FBI database using the FISA 702, and in brackets 1617, system. The database was repeatedly used by persons with contractor access who unlawfully searched and extracted the raw results without re redacting the information and shared it with an unknown number of entities. The outlined process certainly points toward a political spying and surveillance operation. When the DOJ use of the IRS for political information on their opposition became problematic, the Obama administration needed another tool. It was in 2012 when they switched to using the FBI databases for targeted search queries. This information from Jim Jordan and Matt Gates has the potential to be extremely explosive. It will be interesting to see how the domestic intelligence community media, New York Times, Politico, Washington Post, in that order, respond to this Matt Gates report. I wrote about these submissions in depth through 2017, 18, and eventually summarised in 2019. And as a link to, um, obviously, another article. So, yes, could be explosive. So... As I said, the pressure is piling up on the Clinton campaign, Obama. Um, I just can't wait to see these people face justice. So quickly moving on to um, the next topic. I know I don't have a lot of time left to cover it, but now we're looking at the question of gun control and their, the obvious agenda, not only here, but also 
uh, across the globe. So let's look at what's happening. As you know, we had that horrific, um, what appears to be a false flag shooting at Uvalde at the school there. And very many discrepancies in the story has come out of that. We've now got a, an investigation by the DOJ um, into the response to it. And apparently the um, chief, the chief of the the school district police is not cooperating with the investigation. Well, surprise, surprise, he was the one who apparently told them to stand down because it was a barricade situation, not an active shooter. More information is coming out about the mental health or ill health of this shooter. There are pictures of him holding a bag full of dead cats, which is disgusting. Law enforcement knew he had mental issues and potentially was groomed to do the shooting. Now, interesting, when Biden and his wife, Jill, went to Uvalde to see the parents and speak to the parents of the, the children who were killed, um, he actually did a runner because they were shouting... They were booing and shouting about do it, you know, do something. And I don't know whether that was related to doing something about gun control or whether it was the fact that do something about the border. It could have been because this town is not very far north of the open border. Um, he wanted to meet the border patrol but insisted that they disarm before they met with him. Well, the Border Patrol were having nothing of that, and they literally went home and refused to meet Biden. So that was something of an embarrassment as well. Um, we're seeing this pattern of moves towards gun control, and we know that's their agenda. Um, Breitbart actually put out an article which really sums up the attitude of the deep state to this. Um, White House, Joe Biden wants gun control, does not support hardening school security. This was published yesterday. The White House on Tuesday said President Joe Biden does not support proposals that would strengthen school security and would rather focus on gun control. The White House reacted to proposals from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell Republican Kentucky for a legislative response to the mass shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. In discussing how we might come together to target the problem of mental illness and school safety, we'll get back at it next week and hope to have results, McConnell said Tuesday. But the White House reacted negatively to McConnell's proposals. There are two things that he does not agree on, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said on Tuesday when asked about McConnell's proposals at the daily press briefing. She said Biden was not interested in making schools more secure to help stop potential shooters. That is not his focus, obviously, and when it comes to school, I know there has been a conversation about hardening schools. That is not something he believes in, Jean-Pierre said. She also dismissed proposed legislation on mental health issues, focusing instead on the pandemic of gun violence in the United States. What's the problem here? The problem is with guns and not having legislation to really deal with an issue that is a pandemic here in this country, she said. Biden said Monday he believed that McConnell and some rational Republicans could come up with some kind of gun control legislation. Look, I don't know, but I think there's a realisation on the part of rational Republicans. I think there's a recognition in their part that they, we can't continue like this. We can't do this, he said. And he's also got, gone on to um, target 9mm weapons, which, interestingly, are the weapons carried by the Secret Service. So the hypocrisy of these people is startling. Well, actually, probably not startling. It's what we expect. On the same subject, um, Biden met with Jacinda Ardern, the uh, New Zealand Prime Minister, who, of course, used the Christchurch massacre to ban guns there and sem certainly semi-automatic weapons, which is what they're targeting here. Trudeau just put a national ban on gun ownership and, and red flag law related to current gun owners. They're forced to turn over firearms if they're considered a danger. 
a long gun maximum of five rounds. So it's, you know, all these countries that are deep state controlled, obviously, just want people disarmed everywhere. Now, the good news this week is that the WHO has been forced into a humiliating back, back down. And this is re reported by onenation.org.au. Brilliant news out of Geneva today. As most of you know, the World Health Assembly has spent the past seven days considering Biden's 13 controversial amendments to the international health regulations. Official delegates from wealthy developed nations like Australia, the UK and the US spoke in strong support of the amendments and urged other states to join them in signing away their country's sovereignty. The first sign, however, that things might not be going the globalist way came on Wednesday, the 25th of May, which just happened to also be Africa Day. Botswana read a statement on behalf of its 47 Afro members saying they would be collectively withholding their support for the reforms, which many African members were very concerned about. Multiple other countries also said they had reservations over the changes and would not be supporting them either. These included Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, Iran and Malaysia. Brazil in particular said it would exit WHO altogether rather than allow its population to be made subject to the new amendments. In the end, the WHO and its wealthy nation supporters were forced to back down. They have not given up though, far from it. Instead, they did what they always do and pivoted. At their request, a new working group was convened to make technical recommendations on the proposed amendments which will be resubmitted along with the pandemic treaty at the 77th Health Assembly meeting in 2024. There's also been lots of pushback from Republicans in the US with a number of them introducing new bills giving the US Congress stroke Senate powers to override any WHO mandates or directives issued as part of any international agreements. So that's good news. Of course, Trump brought us out of the WHO and uh, Biden took us straight back in. Now, I've just got a quick report, um, and this is related to an interview that Greg Phillips did with Patel Patriot. And Greg Phillips, of course, is one of the True the Vote investigators that re revealed the 2000 Mules situation. Well, he is now saying... We do have a matter brewing that is 10 times bigger than mules, but I assure you it's the most explosive issue that you'll ever have come in contact with relating to elections in the United States. Now, I'm just going to play this very short clip from what I think is the live broadcast of the testimony being given to Arizona about the 2000 mules. Here we go. If I could just add one thing, um, some of you asked me before the hearing uh, this weekend, I made some comments on a podcast. We do indeed have a matter brewing that is 10 times bigger than mules. Um, it'll be about six weeks before we can clear our way through it, but I assure you it is the most explosive issue that you've ever come in contact with related to elections in the United States. So I wonder if that will relate to the voting machines and this foreign interference. I mean, we did report way back in the just after the election about so-called interference from Italy. So maybe this is going to be um, what's going to be revealed. We've got to wait six weeks, so we'll look forward to getting that information. And then finally, a rallying cry from um, Ultra Peppy Lies Matter on Telegram. Just to clarify where we are at in the Great Awakening, we are the furthest we've ever been. More people are awake than at any point in modern history. Some are half awake, but the needle has been moved with millions and millions of people. This is no small feat. You become discouraged because you don't realise how much progress we've made. The cabal elite paedophiles, the swamp's corruption, local state election corruption, teachers always follow the money, Bill Gates and no paedophile can keep their comment section on without getting roasted by the populace and much, much more. 
The only way any of this would be defeated if it was first exposed. It has been brought out into the light, which causes you distress but keep heart. This was always part of the plan. You're on the cutting edge of the awakening, paving a way for the masses behind us. They will awaken. Your contributions are not in vain. Did you honestly think a death cult of this magnitude would fall so quickly after controlling the world for this long? But the light is shining and they are running out of places to hide. We are winning the information war, one step at a time. There's no question the masses will be red-pilled. So, uplifting, you know, we are winning. Look at all this pressure that's piling on these criminals. It's, uh, it's really encouraging to me. So, um, look for more good news. So, that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show on Saturday. See what happens in the meantime. And I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and Derek Condit for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio. Visit him at mysticalwares.com and you'll see an amazing range of metaphysical goodies. So until Saturday, stay well, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com.